Psalm 51, for the director of music, a Psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness, even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, so that sinners will turn back to you, Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Saviour, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in the burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Thanks, Debbie. Let's pray. Lord, please open my lips. Please open all our eyes, open our hearts. We might sing of your righteousness, of your unfailing love, great compassion. Please speak to us now. For Jesus' sake, amen. There's been a sad string of stories in recent years. Probably there's always been a, a sad string of stories like this, of Christian leaders who have fallen, who have sinned, often abusing their position, often sexual sin involved. And each time it is tragic, each time, no doubt, a profound impact on those who have been part of the person's ministry. But imagine what the papers, what social media might have made of David's fall. David, the great king, the godly king, wonderfully, and yet he committed adultery, took another man's wife, another man who was one of his soldiers fighting his battles for him, where he should have been 
given David's position and power, I think we might well uh, imagine it's, it's borderline rape he committed with Bathsheba. And then the cover-up, the, the attempt to protect his, his reputation for godliness, which leads him even to commit murder, to have Bathsheba's husband bumped off on the battlefield. That's the background to this psalm. We could read about it in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. And the psalm is written, not the morning after he slept with Bathsheba. Not a few weeks later when he got the, the message from Bathsheba that she was pregnant. Written not a little after that when he got news from his commander-in-chief, Uriah, that Uriah was indeed dead. And actually others too had to be sacrificed as part of the plan. Now this psalm was written months later. When David and Bathsheba were married, the baby had been born, and it seemed as though David had got away with it. Till Nathan the prophet came and confronted him with his sin. It was God's word, as it always is, God's word that convicted him at last of sin and brought him to his knees. Not just remorse for wrongs he'd done, not just shame for being found out, but conviction, deep conviction of his sin. We say a prayer of confession every Sunday uh, together, and it's good and right that we do so. But if we're honest, it's not quite like this, is it? When we pray those words, we pray David's words here this morning, but we don't pray it with quite this depth of sense of our sinfulness, the sinfulness of our sin, nor with this confidence, probably, in the reality of God's mercy and grace to forgive us. All the Psalms are given to us, I think, to help us learn to pray words from God that we might use to speak to God rightly. And this Psalm, I'm sure, has been given to us to teach us how to speak to God about our sin, about our guilt. Debbie read, rightly, the, the, the title to the psalm, you'll see at the top, and which tells us the context of the prayer. But notice the first thing it says in that title, for the director of music. I think that's rather striking. This is not just a song that David wrote to reflect on his own sin, as it were to strum his harp in his bedroom and pour out his thoughts to the Lord. David wrote this song for other people to sing. He wrote it for us to sing. When we think of what David had done, we might think, well, David certainly needed to sing this. But David is saying to all of us, you need to sing it too. Every single one of us here needs to learn to sing this song. There will be some here, no doubt, who know that. There are things on your conscience. Guilt that's been there maybe for many, many years. Perhaps you think your sin is too great, too shameful 
to bring to the Lord. And David says, now sing it with me. Whatever you have on your conscience cannot be worse than what I had on mine. Sing with me. And if any of us are prone to think, actually my sinning compared to David is rather trivial in comparison. Do I really need to sing? It's a bit over the top for me to sing this. And David says to us, no, you too need to sing this with me. Learn to understand and acknowledge the truth about yourself. So we're going to look at what David prayed, and we'll break the prayer down into three sections. And I want to leave some time at the end, as much time as we can, just to think a bit more, though, about how we can pray this prayer. I've been trying to pray it every day this week. It's a song that's familiar to me already. I know they're great words. I know they're true words. But as, as it were, I've been singing it this week. I've been very conscious. I don't sing it very well. I can imagine David singing it, praying it with great conviction. And I feel as I pray it, well, there's not the same sense of depth of understanding as I do it. And I need to learn to sing it better. And so at the end, I want us to think what it means for us, how it might help us to think about singing this song in the King's Choir. That's the sort of title of our series. That's what we're going to end with. But first, what David prayed for. Three things he prays for. He says, Lord, cleanse me, renew me, use me. First, cleanse me. That, I think, sums up the first nine verses. Those three verbs, notice, in the first two verses. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And those three verbs are then repeated in reverse order in verses 7 to 9. Cleanse me, wash me. Verse 9, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. That's what he's asking God for in those first nine verses. Cleanse me. He says, verse 3, I know my transgressions and my sin is always before you. This is not one of those non-apologies that we should know not to say. Sorry if I've upset you. Sorry if you were hurt by what I did or said. As though the problem is really the other person's problem. Though David very explicitly and clearly owns the problem as his own. Owns his own sin. He speaks of my transgressions. That's a word that, that means crossing lines, crossing boundaries, rebellion, if you like. He speaks of my sin. It's a word that, that really means falling short. It's not just sins of commission, it's sins of omission too. Boy, in so many ways, how do we fall short of what we should be? And then David speaks of my iniquity. And that's a word that speaks of our our warped evil nature. It's not just things we've done or not done. That's who I am, says David. It's what I am. He owns the truth about himself. But actually, notice, he doesn't begin there. He begins by laying hold of the truth about God. Look at verse 1. 
Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. David says, I know what I'm like, and given what I like, I deserve nothing from you. I'm looking for mercy. I know what I'm like, but I know what you're like too. You are the God of unfailing love. It's a word that means covenant love, committed love. David knows he's been completely unfaithful, but he knows the Lord is utterly faithful. His love is unfailing, constant, and sure. So David says, have mercy on me, God, because you love me. Isn't that a bold thing to pray? Have mercy, because I know you love me, and I know you care about me. You're a God of great compassion. And much as he knows his sin offends God, he knows that when God looks on him in his sin, Because God is a God of great compassion. God's heart is drawn to him. To him. To show mercy towards him. To to help him. Isn't that a bold way to begin your prayer when you've stuffed up as much as David had? Almost cheeky to appeal to God's love and compassion. But we need to have a clear view of God. And we need a clear view of sin. And and David certainly sees his sin for what it is. So verse 4, he says, Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. He's not simply just mindful of the scandal this will cause, what his people will think of him. It's not that he's not aware that he has wronged Bathsheba, wronged her husband, wronged Joab, made him complicit in murder. The baby that was born to him in Bathsheba would die as a consequence of his sin, the prophet tells him. Many, many lives were profoundly affected by David's wrong. And he knows that, no doubt. Nevertheless, He knows that at heart, at root, sin is fundamentally against God. That's what Nathan the prophet had said to David. He said, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord. Not just you've wronged Bathsheba and Uriah. You've shown contempt for the Lord. You've despised the word of the Lord. That is the nature of sin. Now, that's the truth, perhaps. Most of us know and we can affirm that sin is is against God. We affirm it, but I wonder how much we feel it. Mostly we feel bad about how our sin might have affected others. Or feel bad about how it affects us, the shame we feel, perhaps. We are less mindful of how our sin is an offense to God. Yet only when we see that do we really see sin for what it is. Well, David does. And he says, I've got no excuses, no defense. End of verse 4, you are right in your verdict. 
and justified when you judge. You're right. This is me. I wasn't acting out of character. This actually is what I am like in my heart of hearts. This is what I am. I committed adultery because I am an adulterer. I committed murder because I am a murderer. Adultery, murder, deceit, hypocrisy. They've always been there, actually, in me. And mostly I've managed to keep them hidden from other people's sight. But not from your sight, Lord. Says verse 5, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Then he says, verse 6, it's not that I didn't know that I was doing wrong. I can't plead ignorance. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. He knows his sin. He says to God, cleanse me, wash me. Not just wash the sin off me as though there might be a clean me somewhere underneath. He knows he is filthy through and through. He says, wash me. And he has amazing confidence that God will. Verse 7. Cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow perfectly clean, all stain, all defilement, completely gone. David has said back in verse uh, verse 3, my sin is always before me. I can't stop seeing it in my mind's eye. And yet he says to God, verse 9, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Make it so that in your eyes, There's nothing to see. It's gone, erased completely. And he has amazing confidence that God will do that. I read this week the story of um, von Ribbentrop, Hitler's foreign minister, who um, during the Nuremberg trials was visited by a U.S. Army chaplain who shared the gospel with him. He was condemned to death by hanging, and at his execution, he was asked if he had any final words. And he said this, I place all my confidence in the Lamb who made atonement for my sins. May God have mercy on my soul. And then he turned to look at the chaplain, and he said, I will see you again. And he placed the hood on his head, the noose around his neck, the trap door opened. Part we might think, is it really that simple? Think what he'd done. Can it be that simple? And David says to us, yes. David's sure of it. When he confessed his sin to Nathan, he said, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan then said to David, the Lord has taken away your sin. He had the prophet's word. That's what gave him boldness to pray as he does. And of course, we too, we too have God's word. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just 
and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's amazing. It's wonderful. Perhaps we're too familiar with it. But that's David's first request. Cleanse me. One he made makes with great confidence. He doesn't stop there. His next request is renew me. That's verses 10 to 12. He doesn't simply want a, a clean slate. He wants a changed heart. And so he prays, verse 10, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Real repentance, David shows us, is not just confessing our sin. It's turning from it. Wanting now to go God's way. So David prays next, help me, Lord. Change me. That word create is the word used in in Genesis 1. It's the word in the Bible that's only used of God. It's something only God can do. Create in me a new heart. And of course, as Christians, that's what Bible says is true of us. We are now new creations, born again, new hearts given to us. This work of creation has begun. Of course, it's not yet finished. And as we pray this, we're praying that God would please do that ongoing work in us, renewing us, restoring us, transforming us to be the people we were created to be. Renew a steadfast spirit within me, David prays, verse 8 or verse 10. Grant me a willing spirit. So a heart that, that wills, that wants to go God's way from now on. Wants to please God and is steadfast in doing so. That keeps on going God's way. We need God to do that. He must work in us to will and to act according to God's good purpose, Paul says. And then David prays, verse 11, Do not cast me from your presence, or take your Holy Spirit from me. David's predecessor, King Saul, when he had sinned, God did reject him. The Spirit, we're told, departed. Maybe that's why David prays, Please, please, don't give up on me. David's saying, I don't simply want forgiveness. That that isn't enough. I want you. I need you. So don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. And he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. As he prayed back in verse 8, actually, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. And that's a prayer many of us need to pray. Not just for cleansed hearts, but for joyful hearts. To know not just the fact, but the joy of salvation. Forgiveness is not an end in itself. Forgiveness is so that we might enjoy God. Rejoice again in his unfailing love and great compassion. And that's a joy only God can give, which is why we need to ask for it. So David prays, renew me. The prayer that should be asked. Cleanse me, renew me. And then finally, use me. He says, use me to bless others. 
Above all, to honor and please you. That's what the final verses, I think, essentially are about. So often the devil wins a double victory with us. First victory is when he leads us into sin. Sometimes he wins a double victory. And after he's made a sin, he makes us think we can now never be useful to God again. We're useless now because of what we've done. But David is bold to pray, Lord, use me. Renew me so that I might again be useful to you, pleasing to you. Verse 13, then... I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. The joy he's been praying for himself. He longs that others too would know. It's a joy he longs to share. And who better than me, David might say, to tell of your mercy. So use me, Lord, to that end. Open my lips that my mouth might declare your praise. He he, he prays, verse 15. Praise to God, may uh, this joy you give me, may I return it to you in praise. As I sing of your righteousness. But actually, I think declare your praise speaks as much of David telling others how good and great God is. Use me, he says. Use my lips to declare your praise. I want to please you, he's saying. And he says, I I know that simply doing religious acts isn't what pleasing you is about. So verse 16, he says, you don't delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. That's what he knows most pleases and delights God, a broken heart and contrite spirit. And David says, that's, that's really all I've got to offer. May it please you. May it delight you. And then, again, in the final two verses, he looks outward. Ultimately, the reason David as king seeks God's grace for himself is so that God's people might know God's grace and favor. So actually, he ends, verse 18, may it Please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. That's ultimately what David longs for. David the king seeks God's grace for the glory of God, for the good of his people. Well, It is a wonderful prayer. It's a prayer. I think we need to learn to pray each bit. Cleanse me, renew me, use me. And as I said, I've tried to pray this prayer each day this week, to sing this song that David has given me to sing. And I think the lyrics are great. And yet, each morning, I thought to myself, I don't sing this very well. As I sing this song, I'm thinking very often, I I don't quite see my sin as clearly as I should. I don't quite trust as completely in God's love and compassion as I should. The longings of my heart are so much weaker than they should be. 
They want to help us all learn to sing this song better. And what has helped me is very much thinking about singing it in the King's choir. Singing it with Jesus as my King. Whenever I read a Psalm of David, I, I try to think not just how David sort of speaks of me, his words can be my words. No, I try always first to think how David foreshadows the Lord Jesus, great David's greatest son. And I try to think, how could Jesus have sung this and made these words his own? And then I think, well now, in Christ, in Christ, how can I sing this song as I should? Now, with this particular psalm, it might seem a bit of a problem. How could Jesus sing this song? Jesus was sinless. Whatever reason, what cause could he have to ever pray this prayer? And yet I take it he did. I take it many, many, many times. In the synagogue growing up, surely he would have sung this psalm. I don't suppose he'd suddenly have clammed his lips and said, well, this one's not for me, this is the rest of you. He would have sung it. At his baptism, remember John the Baptist said to Jesus, oh, this is all wrong. I, I can't baptize. You, you should be baptizing me, John said. And Jesus says, no, no, it's right. You baptize me. This is what I've come to do, he said. I've come to identify with sinners. I've come to identify with sinful people. Isaiah says he was numbered with the transgressors. Paul says he who knew no sin was made sin for us. And I think, well, certainly for myself, it has helped me to marvel at the truth that Jesus sang this. Jesus prayed this. And actually he prayed it about my sin. And your sin, my sin, which he took on himself, which he took responsibility for as he went to the cross. Jesus sings this and invites me now to sing it with him, to pray it with him, sing in the king's choir. And I've tried to think as I pray it, partly, but not just praying it with Jesus as my pastor, Jesus teaching me how to pray, giving me words, the right words to use as I bring my sin, my guilt to God. That's part of it, Jesus my pastor, but actually more wonderfully, praying it with Jesus as my priest, the one who's my mediator, the one who identifies with me, who represents me before the Father. He prays this with me. And as I stumble through the words and feel I'm not singing this song quite as well as I should, I've been really encouraged to remember that he sings it perfectly with me and for me. A number of years ago, I did a, a scratch messiah at the Royal Albert Hall. There was about 1,500 people, I think, in the choir, an enormous choir who had all sort of paid for the privilege the orchestra was professional, the, the wonderful, well-known conductor and soloists and so on. And I didn't know my part very well. I would often get lost in all those sort of 
complicated runs and everything. I wasn't quite sure I was singing the right notes. But singing it with others, can I say, it did sound absolutely magnificent. It sounded wonderful. Well, this psalm, this psalm is, is one I know I need to pray day by day. It's actually a song I want to sing and sing better. And Jesus says to each one of us, sing it with me. Sing it with me. And as you do it, more and more, may you learn to sing it as you should. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, it is mind-boggling, extraordinary thing to think that you might ever have sung this psalm, have prayed it. And it's even more wonderful to think that you would have prayed it because of my sin. For all the weakness of my repentance, my faith, thank you for your, as it were, repentance and faith on my behalf. Thank you that it is your righteousness in which we now stand. But we pray you'd help each one of us to learn to sing this song. To, to learn to understand our sin as we should, but also to learn to see and trust your unfailing love, your great compassion. Please open our lips that we might declare your praise and sing of your righteousness for your name's sake.